When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Straight to business, today's Mead Chronicle. Yes, Gavin Becton has a very interesting story. The headline says, I'll take your effing head off if I effing see you near the dressing room again. Those are the words of Mead manager Andy McEntee following Mead's defeat to Dublin last Sunday in the final of the Leinster Senior Football Championship. The clash began at a press conference when experienced reporter Jimmy Gagan put a question to the Mead manager about players being released for the hurling championships this weekend McEntee replied are you effing mad? What sort of effing question is that to ask me? But it didn't end there because when Jimmy went to continue with his work and do his job and went to the coach the Mead coach to interview some of the players at that point uh, the Mead manager saw him again and those words came out I'll take your effing head off if I see you see you near the effing dressing room again. Uh, Gavin Becton writes the story in uh, the Mead Chronicle today and I'm joined on the line by a man you all know well. He's an experienced journalist himself of sport, of politics and more besides. It's Ken Murray. Good afternoon, Ken. Good afternoon, Jerry. Ken, the reason I have you on here talking to me today is that you have gone on and posted a significant response to uh, the uh, article written by Gavin Beckton in the Mead Chronicle today on the Mead Chronicle web- website. Why have you seen fit to go in and uh, give your toppings worth? Well, as far as I'm concerned, Andy McEntee was completely out of order. He obviously doesn't understand how the media works. I mean, I responded to this on the Mead Chronicle Facebook page, uh, not so much to defend the Mead Chronicle, not so much to defend Jimmy Gagan. I've never worked for the Chronicle. I know Jimmy. But to, to defend the role of journalism, because uh, in any democracy, a journalist has a right to ask any question whatsoever. And I've been through the rough and tumble uh, covering politics in Leinster House and government buildings, even up in Belfast uh, in the early 90s. Um, You know, the question seemed harmless enough. Andy McEntee has responded in a very aggressive manner. He has effectively threatened Jimmy. Uh, If one wanted to be specific about it, it could even be treated as a Garda matter, but it's not going to go that way. But the point I'm saying is... um, 
Andy McIntyre and the Mead County Board, as far as I am concerned, have handled this badly. This is a, what's called a crisis management situation. And when you're in that situation, logic says you get on to the Chronicle the next day and you say, OK, let's put our hands up. We were wrong. We overreacted. This has been handled badly. But instead, what has happened is that Andy McIntyre and the Mead County Board have dug their heels in and they've let this story, if you like, rumble on for several days instead of closing it down. If it had been closed down with some sort of an admittance of wrongdoing that they you know, overreacted or they misinterpreted the question, if they said that on Monday, the Mead Chronicle probably wouldn't have given it the prominence it's got this week. And now it's on the Irish Independent website this morning, so now it's a national story. And all because Andy McIntyre and the Mead Chronicle, sorry, Andy McIntyre and the Mead County Board have handled this badly. This is a defence of, if you like, a journalistic principle of the right to ask any question in a democracy. Ken, can I ask you this um, uh, regarding what you say there? I suppose, let, let's put yourself in Andy McIntyre's shoes. They've been beaten in a Leinster final, badly beaten. Um, it, it, it hurts. And he's like trying to gather his thoughts. He's thinking of the qualifiers in two weeks' time and how can you rally the troops and get them together again. And he, he shoots from the hip at the press conference. And, you know, the question about hurling might be, a, you know, he thinks hurling and we're in the midst of this football crisis. Well, uh, if I understand the question and the way you're putting it, Jerry, you seem to be saying that uh, Andy McIntyre might have taken this as an inappropriate question. I'm sure he was very upset after the performance last Sunday. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Jimmy Gagan is only doing his job. He's there, if you like, as a representative of the people. Remember, the media ask questions on behalf of the public. Can you imagine if, for example, uh, the politicians coming on the Michael Reid show in the morning were uh, kicking up hell because they didn't like the questions Michael was asking? People might say, well, hang on a second. If you're in the public eye, you are accountable to the public. The public pay through the turnstiles when they go into Park Calchon. They help fund the Mead County Board. They are effectively, uh, if you like, the drivers of support, the drivers of finance that runs the GAA, not only in Mead, but indeed around the country. As far as I'm concerned, Andy McEntee is completely out of order. Jimmy Gagan was only doing his job. The Mead Chronicle, it should be pointed out, I think the Mead Chronicle was founded in the late 1880s. There is no other entity in County Mead, not even LMFM, that has a record of GA activity in Mead like the Mead Chronicle. I mean, I think I made the point on Facebook that the great irony in all this is that, you know, Andy McEntee's interest and love of the GAA it was probably influenced by stuff he read in the Mead Chronicle as a young man. And yet to gang up on Jimmy Gagan for asking what appears to me to be a pretty innocent question is an attack on journalism. It's also an attack, if you like, on the public, because as I said, journalists ask the questions on behalf of the public. I mean, the Mead County Board should issue a formal apology now, and that will close the matter, uh, and it'll be forgotten about by the weekend. But instead, it seems they've dug their heels in, uh, and they're making the situation worse.
I, I've read the statement they issued to the Me the uh, Chronicle, and uh, it, it, in paraphrasing it, it says, "Well, look at the decision whether players go or not to play hurling is their own, uh, and that's been agreed with managers and everyone involved, all interested parties, and anything else uh, that says different to that is wrong." And they're saying that we'll investigate internally the alleged comments. Well, that to me is unacceptable. I mean, as I said, um, you know, when I was a political correspondent working for INN and every so often something blew up in the HSE and you had all these advisors coming from here, there and everywhere trying to, if you like, close down bad news. And every so often when Bertie O'Hearn was in a spot of bother and you had all these advisors coming from here, there and everywhere trying to close down uh, bad news. It seems to me the Chronicle haven't a clue about media management. It's a statement, but it's not addressing the threat that was made to Jimmy Gagan. As I said, the Mead County Board would be better off if they simply said, look, Andy overreacted. Andy is sorry. It won't happen again. It was a very um, bad day for Mead football and, uh, you know, tempers were a bit frayed and we apologised to Jimmy. That's the end of the matter. Life goes on. And I'm not, you know, I don't know Andy McEntee, but Shane McEntee, when he was alive, was one of my best friends in Leinster House. I had my lunch with him every other day. I know, Helen, this is not an attack on the McEntee family, but Andy, as far as I'm concerned, as a journalist who's worked in politics, uh, I've covered sport, as you know, Jerry, and uh, Andy has handled this badly and handled it wrongly. And, you know, Jerry, I, I think I recall you being in a spot of bother once in United Park in Drogheda where, you know, you got yourself into some trouble because you said things and, uh, you know, there was a bit of a backlash. This can sometimes be part and parcel of the profession. I know myself, I was threatened once up on the Shankill Road in Belfast. Um, I remember following the Shankill Road bomb in October 1993. I was working as a field producer for Sky News. And we were doing a box pop on the Shankill Road and we were asking people about their reaction to the, the Shankill Road bomb and somebody recognised that my accent was from the south and then within about 15 minutes, four or five hoodies arrived from nowhere and told me to get out of the Shankill Road and if I wasn't out of the place within 15 minutes, I'd be going home in a box. Uh, you know, I recall when Bobby Malloy deregulated the taxi industry. Remember that the, there was a limit on the number of places? Yes the taxi owners could have and they deregulated the market and the taxi people in Dublin blocked the entrance to Dublin Airport and we all showed up as media people and they, 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 they ganged up on us because they didn't like the message. You know, this is part and parcel of the game. Somebody once said that journalism is a profession where somebody somewhere doesn't want something published. Uh, but in this case, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this has been handled badly by the Mead County Board uh, and they would do themselves a good service if they just put their hands up and says, look, um, you know, the reaction was for the heat of the moment. It was a bad day for Mead in Croke Park and uh, it shouldn't have happened and let's shake hands and we'll all live happily ever after. Now, I understand the Shankill thing and that, that was a very serious uh, life and death matter, probably a, a little bit removed from, from what happened on Sunday. But here's the thing, Ken. Um, You've come across this in the past and it's something that you have to probably deal with as a journalist. But have you been in a situation where this has happened to you and then you have to go back in and face the person again and ask the questions once more? It never put you off. Yeah, I remember I used to do a column uh, for the Sunday Mirror, a political column. And um, 
a person who worked in the Taoiseach's office used to feed me information and I wrote up my column. Uh, somebody, it seems, in the Sunday Mirror decided to rewrite it and completely change uh, the story and it strained my relationship with the Taoiseach's office and I literally had to go down on my knees almost and, and issue an apology. Sometimes journalists do get it wrong. Sometimes you, you wrongly hear information or you misinterpret it or the person you're talking to says one thing and you pick it up a different way and what you write is misinterpreted. You know, I remember, I remember covering a Drogheda United Shamrock Rovers match for the Irish press back in, I think, 1985. It was one of the worst games I think I was ever at in my life. It was worse than Ireland v Egypt in the World Cup in 1990. But I wrote that this game was so bad, fans would have been better off if they stayed at home. And one of the Drogheda United directors sort of cornered me the following uh, week and said, if I had a cup of tea, I would scald you. You get your life threatened and relationships get strained, but sometimes it's part and parcel uh, of the business. I remember, you know, back in the early, uh, the early noughties, the, the late 1990s, early noughties, I used to spend a lot of time in the criminal court, the Central Criminal Court in Dublin, and every so often somebody would be sentenced for rape or murder, and the families would come out and they'd threaten the press because they didn't like the fact that, you know, their Johnny or their Mary got a conviction in the courts, but the press got the blame. And, you know, it's the, the fine line you have to walk as a journalist where you sometimes have to report things you don't want to report. Um, and, and, you know, you take the, the rough with the smooth and the good with the bad. And I'm sure in LMFM's case, Jerry, someday you say things and there's somebody on the phone shouting and screaming down the line because they didn't like what you said part and parcel for the business but I always make the point if you're in the public eye you are answerable to the public and if you threaten journalists you are effectively threatening the public uh, Some of the comments coming to us keep them coming to us if you've read the Chronicle if you hear what we're talking about today on Late Lunch you're always welcome to contribute 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text or 1850 715 958 if you'd like to call in or across social media uh, a listener says the reporter should have known better he's around football long enough and Ken says he's right uh, so called doing his job he got the reaction he wanted says a listener what do you make of that? Well that's nonsense what was wrong with asking the question what was so insensitive or sinister about the question it was a straightforward question I think it related to whether or not Andy McEntee was going to release players to play a hurling I think next weekend this weekend yes Please tell me, uh, whoever that caller is, what is wrong with that question? All Andy McEntee had to say, well, it's something I'll think about during the week. Next question, please. What is so wrong with Jimmy Gagan asking such an insensitive, humble, modest, straightforward, logical question? Um, another one there says I I couldn't agree with Ken Murray more the uh, question should have been answered straightforward and that uh, would be the end of it Uh, that's the the thinking I have as well Um, we did ask I have to tell listeners today we did ask uh, Gavin Becton first uh, to to join us and comment on it and Jimmy uh, Gagan subsequently and both uh, uh, said to us look they'd prefer to leave things sit for the moment and see how this plays out how do you reckon it'll play out would you like to surmise Ken well look um, my instinct tells me that since the Chronicle was published yesterday I'd say there's a lot of tic-tacking going on between the Mead Chronicle and the county board and something has been, if you like, worked on 
to diffuse this. Uh, I think the way it's going to play out is that um, I think in the main, the public are sort of looking at the Mead County Board and saying, look, lads, it was bad enough that you had a bad game on Sunday, but now you're handling this badly as well. And I don't know who the PRO of the Mead County Board is these days, but sometimes people get appointed to PRO positions and they've absolutely no experience whatsoever of what's called crisis management in the media. There are experts in Dublin. They know how to close down bad news. They know how to manipulate a story and get people on to say certain things so that the story runs out of legs, if you know what I mean. I think uh, there'll be a, a reaction in the Chronicle next week, and by the following week, all the focus will be on the next Mead match, and it'll all be forgotten about by then. And hopefully, the relationship between the Mead Chronicle and the county board won't have been strained. Ken, thank you so much for taking our call today and uh, offering your valued opinion. Thanks a million. Cheers, Jerry. Bye. Take care. Ken Murray there, journalist, giving us his take. He's an extent, uh, it's an extensive reply. If you want to go in and check it out on the Mead Chronicle Facebook page, you'll see in full what Ken had to say there. Lots of comment coming to us. Uh, why didn't he ask it at the press brief briefing? Well, actually, he did. Jimmy Gigan asked that question at the post-match press conference with the press hour. Listener phoned to say, uh, get Ken off the air. Andy McEntee was protecting his players. It was a game of football and no need for any journalist to be there. Well, there is need to be ju- for journalists to be there, I have to tell you, whoever you are. That's what the post-match press conferences are for, to ask the questions. Uh, another listener was in touch to say, this statement was a one-off comment and people should not belittle him. Andy was protecting his team and well done to him. The last thing they want uh, is this, so better luck next time and there will be a next time for the Mead team. I'm sure that's a Mead supporter getting in touch with us there. 086 658 by what? WhatsApp or text, keep them coming to us, 185 I'll remind you again, is the telephone number. Look, I've been in that position. I've written things and been taken to task on it. I've said things. Of course, it's part and parcel of this game uh, that we're in. And I, I, I do understand where somebody can, in the heat of the moment, I accept myself, can just lose the plot for, for, for the time, uh, for that particular window, you know. And, and, and that's obviously what happened with Andy, Andy McEntee there. Um, it happened at the press conference. There was a follow-up away from the press conference a little uh, afterwards. So obviously the rage continued with Andy. I wonder how he feels today about it does it bother him does he think about it is it just water off a duck's back what I suppose look Jimmy is an experienced journalist a very experienced and what a great guy he is and a nice guy as well but you have to ask the questions that that is the bottom line love to hear from you keep the comments coming first break of the afternoon on Wednesday's late lunch yes that's Monday and Sharon Shannon, Galway Girl, on late lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Now, moving on on late lunch, pro-energy homes. We heard last week on the show, and we talked about it, the government's new initiative looking ahead to 2030. And the aim is, of course, to have most homes that they're passive homes. Well, all new homes are that have been built. But retrofitting is a thing, and there's a lot of work to be done. Well, with this in mind, Dundalk Credit Union have launched a new initiative called Pro-Energy homes and I'm joined on the line by their lending operations and development manager Stuart Agnew. Stuart good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon Jerry. how are you? Uh, I'm very good. Stuart you're on the ball with this. Tell us a little more about it. Yeah well this is as, as you said yourself there's a pro energy uh, home loan that's been advertised to our members here in the credit union 
I suppose the scheme it's um, it's REIL uh, the Retrofit Energy Ireland Limited it's the, uh, the REIL Home Energy Saving Loan Scheme which I suppose is aiming to provide low cost finance to credit union members you know for home energy efficiency upgrades and um, there's an SEI SEAI government grant of 35% on all energy efficiency upgrades which is a significant kind of saving in terms of um, members looking to upgrade their homes and um, the works obviously though to be financed through a crediting and loan and as I said REIL are the programme coordinators and will be responsible I suppose for the procurement and completion of all works uh, along with applying for the grant funding on behalf of the client so that's an important thing to note as well they will be actually making uh, the grant funding applications on behalf of our members so uh, that's really making the process Jerry very easy and very straightforward for the members and even the initial kind of home energy kind of um, survey that will be carried out is a free survey that will be carried out as well to identify kind of areas within the home that need addressing and, and that the, the member can consider whether you know, they want to go ahead and go go with these particular works they need addressing. So this is uh, interesting in that it brings, say, three strands together under the umbrella of the credit union. So if you go to the Dundalk Credit Union with this scheme and go in and say, look, I want to have a good look at my home here from every aspect of energy and making it more efficient and uh, warmer in winter or whatever, you take it from there is, and you engage REIL, the SEAI as well, is it? Yeah, well, no, we, we would we'd engage with REIL. Yeah. I suppose, and what's, what the form is, we have an expression of interest form here in the office, which can be collected in the office officer can be posted out to our members so the expression of interest form would be filled out by our member they'd also make the initial loan application which um, we will give them you know subject to documentation exact you know approval in principle the expression of interest form would be sent to REIL and they will be back to the member within three days to organize the home energy survey uh, review of their home so SEI is really taking, they, they, they give you the grant of 35%, but REIL are really acting as the intermediary. They're kind of the, the person who represents the member and ensuring that the process, you know, the member won't have to engage with SEI at all. Okay. It'll be REIL that will represent the member, you know, alongside yeah, the credit union, who, uh, Dundra Credit Union, who will act as the partner with them to give them the finance and the loan that will enable them to carry out these works on the home. Okay, so you the important thing always with grants is it's a percentage of the work. You need the balance or you need to have it uh, to carry out. And that's where you guys come in and you're saying to people, here we are, we're here, we can help you out with this and come in and talk to us. Big time. And I suppose like, there's different, obviously there's different measures in the home that the, the members, you know, may be considering. It's really down to that particular survey of the home, Jerry. Like, you know, some members may have attic insulation done, they may have the cavity insulation done. You know, it, it could be, you know, anything after that really that could be identified. It has to be at least two two items that need to be addressed to qualify for this. Like homes must be built prior to 2006. You know, as I was saying, there must be a minimum of two qualifying works uh, to be completed. And a list of these qualifying works are available on proenergyhomes.ie. You know, obviously there's lending criteria on the writing and terms and conditions applied to the loan. And, you know, if the home has been previously, ben- if it has benefited previously from SEAI grants, a new grant is not available for the same works, but you may qualify for the different works. Yeah, that's important. So it yeah. is important, those particular points are made a note of there. Well, your guys, you guys are ahead of the posse, certainly, with this one. Uh, what's the, just in general terms, while I have you with me here, things going well, the credit union's still a fulcrum of the community, so important to, to many, many people? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and this particular product, it's an affordable, it's a new product, it's an affordable product. You know, the interest rate uh, has been reduced for this particular product of the, for the members who are interested in borrowing. 
you know, we're having we're significant growth within Dundalk Credit Union here on Mark Street in terms of lending. We're, I have to say, Jerry, the, the last 18 months have been phenomenal for us as a credit union. You know, there's been great, I suppose, the, the community has reaped the rewards of that as well in terms of all the community engagement we have with the different community organisations. So we're in a very, very strong place and we're delighted to be part of this particular scheme. It's a real green finance. It's a real pro-energy loan for the member. And if there's any cost savings, we all know it with electricity bills, gas bills, whatever you can do to reduce those bills on a monthly basis, it can only be beneficial you know, to the member and to the family home. Stuart, you're doing a great job and a great people and you have been there for so long and uh, you can see the results of your input into the community in the Dundalk and the greater Dundalk area. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, and, and you know, you're always so welcoming. I know that of people and your doors are always open and you'll talk to anybody. I like this because it is a bringing together of uh, finance and uh, the grant scheme and working towards making our homes far more efficient in the in the years to come. So give you a shout. That's the message today. Pop into to, to, uh, Dundalk. Credit Union. And Jerry, yeah, can I also say, along with popping into us here on Market Street, Dundalk, um, there also is the free phone option. You know, you can speak yep. to our loans team. It's a free phone number. You can speak to them directly on 1800 81070. That's 1800 81070. Go on to our website, dundalkcu.ie, if you want to make an initial inquiry about this. You know, ring that number. We post that the expression of interest form. We can take the application for the loan over the phone. And, you know, we've, we've got really a really good team here who are on the end of the phone that can kind of direct and guide people on, on how best to move forward with this particular scheme. Stuart, thanks a million. Lovely to talk to you. you best too, of Jerry. wishes. Thanks indeed. Thanks. Take care. That's Stuart Agnew there from uh, Dundalk Credit Union, the Lending Operations and Development Manager. Now, back to our opening feature today uh, on Andy McEntee and his outburst after the uh, Mead-Dublin-Leinster final. And we have a statement from Mead GAA, and it says, Mead GAA are aware of the incident involving the Mead senior football manager and a reporter from the Mead Chronicle. Mead GAA are investigating this incident and no further comment will be made regarding this issue at this time. And we thank them for that statement. I did mention that in the course of the conversation from the original statement published in the Chronicle today that that was happening. And I suppose, yeah, and if it is a fact, you have to give time uh, for that to uh, take its course and see what the outcome is. Thanks again to Mead GAA for that clarification statement to us on late lunch this afternoon stay with us on the show because after the break i'm heading to east coast cookery school and tara walker east coast cookery school the month of june near the end of the month actually at this stage and we're back with tara walker and it's another in her series cooking flavors of the boyne valley and we're stretching the valley of the boyne a little north today (laughs) yes i'm delighted to have great northern larder here they make a selection of different sauces and dry rubs and things like that i'll let them tell you a little bit more about it in a minute but for today i'm using different products to do some nice barbecue dishes so i have a big sirloin of steak there i have some chicken thigh fillets the thigh is boned and skinned and then I'm going to do some nice potato wedges with one of their uh, rubs and then I'm also doing some roast carrots. This is a first for us really in this series and probably in this kitchen because we haven't used condiments or additions before to what you've done here. Yeah no I'm usually fairly anti-jar bought sauces you know just because of the chemicals and the preservatives in them but I'm very very happy to use these. My husband Rob and I have been using their chilli sauce for 
what, three years now or something. And every single Sunday we have it on our poached eggs. It has a lovely kick to it. If you like, say, Tabasco, I think you're definitely going to like this. Um, it's got a more complex flavour, I think, than Tabasco. And that's what we used to put on our eggs. So, so this is really nice. So I'm really very happy to be using their products because they're very, very natural and there's nothing nasty in them. There's loads of flavour in them. I see the rubs there. Tomato sauce, I'm a huge fan of. Chilli. Uh, you talk about the garlic there as well, the brown sauce. They have quite a range. Absolutely. And this new one I haven't tasted actually before today is the plum sauce. So we're going to marinate our chicken thigh fillets in the plum sauce and barbecue them on skewers then. Thanks, Tara. Well, Great Northern Lauder, based in North Loud in Lordship, and the two people, the brains behind it, Laura McMenemy and Rory Brown, are here in East Coast Cookery School with us today. Nice to meet you both. And I have to say, this is fantastic when I see the range that you have here. Now, tell us a little bit about yourselves, Rory. I'm a software developer uh, through my background, but I got into making sauces about two or three years ago. Uh, I've a real love for cooking and being in the kitchen and I really enjoy just experimenting with different flavours and and aromatics and, and veg and fruit and, and everything else that goes into a bottle of sauce. Um, so yeah, it's becoming very quickly uh, a new career for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mile away actually from your qualification, if I may say. It is. There's some crossover, a little bit of, um, you know, following rules and, and using logic and, and being kind of clean and tidy and neat in your work. But yeah, it's not that similar. <laughs> did you come up with the first sauce in this range? Did I hear that? Was the brown sauce the first one? Yes, the brown sauce. And that still remains by far the most complex sauce we've made. There's probably, I think there's 15 or 16 ingredients in it. A range of spices. Uh, it's quite hard to cook. It's quite hard to prepare. Um, and it's still my favorite sauce by a long way. It's um, And it's probably our slowest seller because people just, they either Take or leave brown sauce. It's a bit of a, a marmite type sauce, uh, but it is it is a really really good sauce. Very natural, very clean, and and just jam packed full of flavour. Oh, what a sales <laughs> pitch that is! And hey, Laura McMenemy, you're supposed to be the sales uh, aspect of this team. I am, but that was a pretty good pitch uh, right there on the brown sauce. My background is pharmacy, and I've always worked in I've worked in retail from the age of um, sixteen. So yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping to do. Um, is take a, a bigger step into the sales side of the business, get get out there on the road and get people really introduced to the to the sauces that we're making and the rubs because they're just fantastic products. They're natural. Um, we source the ingredients locally, um, and they're just they're just full of flavour and colour. If you could see them, the colour of them uh, really really does stand out and they really do draw your eye. It's a competitive market and you have the major brands worldwide worldwide as well and the name's synonymous with these type of things. You understand where you're going and what you're taking on and what you're up against? I think a lot of people are more conscientious about what they're eating these days. Um, they want to know exactly where their food is coming from. They want to, they want to know what's in their food um, and, and they'd like to know if if their food is coming from local sources too. So, as I said, our sauces, we have um, apple cider vinegar in there from Drata. We use Oriel sea salt as well um, to help flavour it. And then it's total produce in Dundalk that we source all our fruit and veg from. Our labels are from also from um, Drata. The bottles we source from, from Dublin. So, and even down to the boxes that we were, we were looking at to, to post them off. We, we're trying to keep the business local and mm. hopefully we'll be hiring people locally too someday soon where you are now from where you started how long are you at this 
We're at it uh, two years. We launched in Van Tastevel this month, two years ago, actually, with three sauces, the brown sauce, tomato sauce, and a chili sauce. We had a great, Van Tastevel was fantastic. We still have people buying on the website who, who, who remember us there on the first day. Um, so yeah, it's two years and we've already rebranded uh, just recently. So we have a whole new range of labels and we just feel we're ready to go. We've tried it in a lot of shops. It's been really successful. We had a one-off special buy with Aldi who, who took nearly 4,000 bottles from us and had great success with it. So we just feel we're on the cusp of, of launching this nationwide now and really getting stuck in. So Tara, we've heard from the guys there all about their genesis and where they are now. So down to brass tacks here. So what are you starting with? So Jerry, we're going to just use the sauces now to marinate and rub. This is the plum sauce which we're going to put onto some chicken thigh fillets. So boneless, skinless chicken thighs. So I've just poured it onto the chicken thigh fillets here which are just cut into bite-sized pieces, just threading them onto a skewer and we're going to leave those ready to go on the barbecue. Next up, I have a lovely steak and I have just put it. This is a sirloin steak and um, it's very well aged. It's 28 day aged. You'd know it to look yeah, at it. Look at the d- good like depth of flavour. So Rory said to me there, just go easy with the um, I haven't tasted this one before, but just go easy with the beef rub because it is a little bit spicy. And um, so I've just spread a little bit over and we're going to bring that out to the barbecue in a minute. While we're still inside in the kitchen, we're going to get on with our other things. So I have some potatoes here just wedged. And I'm going to just sprinkle a little bit of the wedge rub over. I'm going to add a little pinch of salt and some rapeseed oil. So I've got our local Newgrange Gold rapeseed oil here. And I have the oven nice and hot for that. Skin is on the wedges, by the way. And a little bit of salt here. We've got our Oriole sea salt. Give it a little sprinkle of that. And now let's get those into the oven straight away. Okay. How long are they going to take, Tara, in the oven? Yeah, they should take 15 to 20 minutes. And then beautiful carrots. Yeah, just some little carrots wedged. And we have the lovely Scotch barbecue sauce here. I can't wait for that to go in and come out and taste that combination with the carrots. It's absolutely delicious, isn't it? Absolutely gorgeous. So let's get those into the oven as well. So the idea is really here, you know, you can have your meats marinating or the the rub onto the the beef. You can have your veg kind of ready and prepped, ready to go so that when you have your guests coming for a barbecue, that job's done. All you have to do is throw them into the oven and then you can go on out to the barbecue. Just before we go out, one last little thing. It's nice to have a nice kind of um, dipping sauce or a little drizzle. So here I have some uh, Greek yogurt and we're going to put a little bit of the garlic and chilli sauce into the Greek yogurt, mix it through. That's going to give that a beautiful colour, isn't it? I can see that when it comes together. It'll be beautiful. I have to say, the sauces, the vibrant colours catch my attention. Doesn't it just look so natural? I mean, look at that sauce. I've just taken it out onto the knife here. And you can really see, it just looks so homemade. And that's what I love about them. You know, there's nothing uh, nasty. You know, over the years when we've been doing the show, um, Jerry and the cookery sauce, like I never use any jars of anything. So it really just shows that what a lovely product this is, you know. Now, you've gone sparingly there for a moment on that because I know you always say this, taste it and see do you need to add more. Exactly. Always go with less and add more in. So have a little taste. If it needs a little bit more, you can add more in. But it's very hard to come back if you've been too heavy-handed with something. That's lovely. Let's go with another little bit. So I've put about, say, three tablespoons of Greek yogurt in here and two teaspoons of the garlic and chilli sauce into the yogurt. Mix them all through. Little pinch of salt again and leave it at that. And that's ready to go with the chicken and the steak and the wedges and everything. So that dip is universal. It'll match with anything, really. 
Absolutely, yeah. It's actually a lovely little. I often make a lot of, I, we've probably done them before in the show, different yogurt sauces. So whether it's um, a little bit of turmeric and cumin, whether it's um, a little bit of matcha green tea, chive and lime, like we've used those yogurts as kind of very quick little sauces to make kind of last minute um, on a sort of Tuesday when you're in a hurry. We're outside at the barbecue and I feel the heat and it's welcome heat this afternoon. Yes, Jerry. So look, a good way, we've talked about this before, but just to remind any listeners or anyone who hasn't heard before, it's just some little simple tips for the barbecue. I have a gas barbecue here, which is very easy to control. I have a temperature gauge on it. But if you're working off a charcoal barbecue, which I also have, um, and I would do that when I was just maybe having dinner at home or for friends. But when I'm doing a class and I need reliable sort of heat in my barbecue, I usually use the gas one. So what we want to do is only be able to keep our hand an inch over the surface of the barbecue for a split second. And then you know you're hot enough. I know on this one we can see the temperature, but if you're on a charcoal, another good way to know is when the coals have gone white or even you can see on my gas grill here the grill itself has gone white so I know I'm hot enough and the reason for that is very important is you want to sear in all of the juices okay if you put your food onto the barbecue and it's not hot enough it's going to a stick to the barbecue and b the juices are going to start seeping out it's a bit like what we talk about searing things on the pan same kind of theory here you want to seal it all in and get it nice and kind of crisp on the outside Having said that, we also have, I've kept this side of the barbecue in a lower temperature, so I'll get a good hot sear on the outside and then I'll move it over to a cooler part of the barbecue to let finish cooking because I actually find that, you, like you don't want that typical scenario that loads of people have with barbecues where it's all sort of cremated on the outside and then still nearly raw at the centre. So I have a little bit of rapeseed oil here in the jug and I'm just going to brush it over the steak and I'm going to pop the steak and we should hear a sizzle. If I don't hear a sizzle not committed to the moment, I can take it off. So let's lay it on. There is a certain sizzle there and a smokiness emerges as well. Exactly. And I'm just brushing the other side with a little bit of the oil as well, just so that's done. And then over here I have my chicken skewers. And I'm going to pop a little bit of oil onto those as well. And like at the moment, I am using this brush on raw meat. So I'll have to be careful then towards the end. What I normally do is get the little brush, bring it into the kitchen, keep it away from the barbecue so I don't go on autopilot and, you know, brush my meat just before it's cooked with a little bit of um, sort of raw meat on it. Okay. Here I have my metal skewers. As I've talked to you before on the barbecue, it's a very handy way for barbecuing fish, chicken, more delicate things, because, you know, you have heat generating from the centre of it so obviously the metal conducts the heat and you know then you're cooking from the centre out and it also keeps it nice and kind of um, moist at the centre so let's get those onto the hot part of the barbecue as well and at the moment don't worry too much if the meats are touching off each other when they're a little bit raw there because we'll move them apart as they cook so let's just pop the lid on there look if you don't have a lid don't worry about it Um, but if you do have a lid it is handy because it keeps the heat kind of in there How long will you leave those on that single side before you turn them? Uh, About two or three minutes. Then we'll turn them and then we'll char the other side of them and then we'll probably move them over to the cooler part of the barbecue. Okay, so we're ready to flip over. Yeah, so you can see here, um, I've just flipped the steak over. Just a little note as well. If the flames are really licking around your meat an awful lot, just move the meat away because it's just going to char them. A little bit of flame every now and then is fine. Obviously, the flame comes from the oil or the fat falling down into it and it, it just kind of sucks it up. But actually, you don't want it too much. So you can see here, we just have a lovely char on the steak, but it's not in any way like black. So let's just see how the underside is. Yeah, we're going to move that up now in a second. And over here with the chicken, we're going to move that over as well. That's coming along nicely. Important to say, don't touch them skewers. I've done it. The skewers are now red hot. <laughs> Make sure you use your tongs or a lifter or whatever you have. 
and you can just move them around a little bit. So as I say, we're just kind of charring them here on the outside, but not burning them. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And then we're going to move them up onto that shelf to cook through. Steak at the ready. So, Jerry, I've just taken the steak off to rest. Um, you saw me there. I have a little stainless steel dish. It doesn't matter what it's made from, but I just warmed it on the barbecue. I sat the dish on the barbecue for a couple of minutes just to warm it so that the steak's resting on a warm dish. And you can see here, can you see here, actually, it's releasing all its juices? Yes. Okay, so this is why it's so important to rest. We've talked about it before. The rule of thumb is rest for half the cooking time. So if we've cooked it for five or six minutes, you want to give it at least two or three minutes. To be honest, for me, I'd probably give it the same as the cooking time for a piece of steak like that. You see those juices are just actually just falling out of the steak there. Now. It's amazing yeah. to actually see it run yeah, down the exactly. tray there. Yeah. And if you, if you cut that now, all of the juices are going to run out. So the reason we're resting it is to keep all of the juices in there. And obviously going back to other things we've discussed on the show before, just about like, look, it's a piece of protein. It's a muscle. When it goes onto the heat, it tenses up. So the other reason for resting it is just to let it kind of relax a little bit. But particularly for a steak where there's a lot of juices there, you want to keep those in. So while that's resting, we have our chicken here. And I've actually got a a second set of tongs now um, because obviously I had raw chicken on those tongs. But if you're conscious about it, a good way just to be on the safe side around sort of food safety and barbecues, the way to sanitize your, your utensils is just sit them into the flame like this. Can you see what I'm doing here? Yep. So if there was anything raw stuck to my tongs, it gets cooked out, the tongs get sanitized and you're good to go again. Or obviously just wash them either. So I'm going to lift the chicken up onto the upper shelf of the barbecue. It's just at a nice point of charring there at the moment. I just like how it is. And I'm going to turn the heat off on the barbecue and I'm going to close the lid and just let it finish off for a couple of minutes in the residual heat. So first up is the steak. It's sitting here, lovely. And I want to tell listeners you've done something there. You had it resting on that silver salver, as you said. Yeah. And you've just poured, you've put this piece of steak on the carving board. You've poured the juices and it's actually absorbed back into it. Absolutely. So one of the things when you're resting your steak, try and rest it on a, a plate or a bowl that has a little lip on it so the juices stay in it. If I were to just rest it on my chopping board, the juices would have just run away. So I've popped it on my chopping board now and I poured any juices that had um, fallen out of it back in and then they're just kind of absorbed back in and I'm just going to slice this into little pieces for us to have a taste into sort of little finger sized pieces and 
look this is all about Great Northern Larder today and their rubs and their different dishes um, and their different sauces and things. So I'm serving this very simply. But if I were doing this myself for dinner, I'd probably serve it on a big bed of leaves and have the nice warm juices all kind of tossed through, you know. So let's have a taste of this, guys. I'll cut them into bite-sized pieces so it's easy for us. I love that because I can get the subtle flavour of the rub on the skin of the beef. Mm. Really, really tasty, isn't mm. it? Mm. What do the sauce people think? Rory. It's beautiful. Very, very nice. The most important part is a really good piece of beef. Mm. The, the, I mean, that is so much more important even than the rub. Uh, but the rub, I think, just gives it a little bit of uh, extra flavour. Beautiful. It is beautiful. Absolutely delicious. Thank mm. you. Oh, yeah, it is lovely. It is lovely. So here comes the chicken. Yes. So here's the chicken off the skewers. And here's our nice little yoghurt and uh, garlic and chilli dip for them. So guys, tuck in. Laura and Rory, have a taste there yourselves and... Tell us what you make of the chicken. You definitely get the heat of the scotch bonnet chilies mm. in the plum sauce. It's lovely. Mm. And it's lovely and sweet as well. I'll try it with the yogurt now. That is so true. Standing on its own, off the barbecue with the sauce, gorgeous. Yeah. And the yogurt is just a lovely foil there for it, isn't, isn't, isn't it? it? And you're adding a little bit of yeah. the plum there from the bottle. Do you know what I just thought? I thought I love the kind of sweetness from the plum sauce. And it's kind of lost it a little bit on the barbecue. So I think quite nice to just nearly reglaze it again with a little bit more of that plum sauce. Oh my, that plum sauce is made for that barbecue chicken. It really is. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful with it. So Tara, that's the beef and the chicken we've tasted and the winners. Aren't they absolutely gorgeous? Really, really delicious. Um, I have to say, I think that plum sauce for me, um, I hadn't had it before. So it's a revelation for me. It's absolutely delicious. And I actually would definitely recommend marinate the meat in it and also serve a little bit on the side. Definitely. Lovely jubbly. Chicken beef done. The wedges come out of the oven and they're being shoveled out onto a plate here. Yes, Jerry. So they're just kind of nicely crisp on the outside, soft in the centre. And uh, let's have a little taste of them. Mind your mouths, they're very hot. So remind us again, what rub did you use on the spuds? So we used the wedge rub. Um, so this wedge rub is, is for um, root veg, really. Um, that's what it's designed for. But you can obviously put it onto meats and things as well. But yeah, it's very tasty. Let me try the tomato for a second, because I'm a big tomato sauce fan. It's so fresh, I have to say, and a real natural feel to that tomato sauce. I really like it. It's totally different to any commercial sauce that you'll ever taste. Yeah, the tomato ketchup um, is it's sweetened with honey. Uh, it's quite herby. There's a little bit of fennel and basil in the ketchup as well. Um, so it can be used to use in your pastas, bolognese as a, as a pizza base. But like that on scrambled eggs or your breakfast, it's absolutely perfect. The carrots. Okay, here they come. And they're a well-caramelised carrot now. Do you like that? Do you like the little bit of caramelisation on the carrot? Is that very important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you really need, like sometimes actually what I do with carrots, I didn't do it today, um, is I add a little bit of water into the bottom of the dish and I put a bit of tin foil over it at the beginning just for about 10, 15 minutes. And then when the water has kind of evaporated and the carrots have started to caramelise, I then take the tin foil off and let them just sit in the oven that way because it is hard to get them really good and soft otherwise. And remind me again what you rubbed the carrot with. So the carrots have been rubbed with the Scotch barbecue sauce. The sweetness of the carrot mixes really nicely with the sweetness of the sauce and the honey. And it just gives a lovely flavour. 
It does. And you didn't use an awful lot on that there. You went sparingly enough, but I can taste it. Yeah, no, you can really taste it. And I think it just gives a lovely glaze. And I think if you had, you know, a dinner party or something like that, I know it's a barbecue sauce, but actually even in the winter, I think you could have your carrots cut into wedges like this with the sauce on, have it done the day before, and then all you have to do is throw it into the oven, you know. Anyway, it's just been great to be at East Coast Cookery School again today. Another featured local business in Flavours of the Boyne Valley. Great Northern Larder. You've heard about them on Late Lunch today. They really are going places. Thank you so much to uh, Laura McMenemy and Rory Brown. Thank you both indeed for bringing your wonderful condiments and sauces to us. Yeah, thank you very much, Ray, and thanks, Tara, for having us. I want to say a big thank you to Tara Walker at East Coast Cookery School uh, for hosting us, as usual, in this uh, series on Late Lunch. And again, for more information on courses and what's going on, eastcoastcookeryschool.ie. Until July. See you then, Tara. Great to see you as always, Jerry. My next guest has a fine CV. He's lecturer at the Department of Adult and Community Education at NUI Maynooth. He's a board member of Aintis, treasurer of Irish Rural Link and member of Concerns Worldwide Board for the last number of years. And we're going to start there in our conversation today with a man I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch. Michael Kenny, it's really good to see you again. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank very you very kind. much for joining me. I did mention a moment ago uh, before you came in about fasting and Lent and uh, the concern fast. We used to do it in this area for a day each year. I think it was Good Friday, Michael, we did uh, the fast. We got some sponsors and then the money was donated and away it went. You've done a ration fast recently. Tell us about this. Well, I think you're interested in the notion of doing a ration fast rather than the traditional fast. Put it in context, Concern is now 51 years old. It started as a rising from the Biafran famine in 1968. And that was the first time that the Irish public saw famine on television. Prior to that, we didn't have the TVs. and therefore, So the, the people responded with huge heart to that famine and sent a huge amount of food out to the people in Biafra, which was trying to secede from Nigeria. Now, from that on, Concern has always used the fast to help to raise money and people fasted predominantly for 24 hours in your case 20, Good Friday but say in colleges students did it in the middle of the year so it didn't affect yeah. the exams etc and it was a big fundraiser society has moved on and going on a kind of a fast like that is not as let's say politically acceptable as it used to be Why is that? Because I think that we are now in a society where food is much more complex we are very very conscious of the calorific value of it, of the various sicknesses that people have, including eating disorders and nobody and body image and all that. So most parents are concerned about how their children, I am in the stage where I have grandchildren. And yes, I would think about how will my grandchildren go through their phase of development without experiencing issues of body image. You know, yet, so that makes the whole process yeah. of advocating fasting more complex. Plus, now we are dealing with 71 million people who are internally displaced around the world. Yeah. 26 million. You think the population of Ireland is not 5 million, but there's 26 million people who are in UN refugee camps. And, and this was to simulate what does a refugee live on? day to day. Can I say something before you go on to the ration fast? And this is only from my experience, that it in a way gave you an appreciation of what it was like not to have food, even though you were only doing it for 24 hours. But there are people who go without food for much longer than that in the world every day. Okay. First of all, the the ration challenge, as it's called, rather yes. than fast, the ration challenge is for seven days. Okay. So you live on a refugee's rations for seven days. It is a trust basis, so you're given, you get a pack when you join it, 
and the pack simulates what the refugee gets. So there is two kilos of rice in it, there's lentils in it, there's beans in it, there's 300 mils of vegetable oils, and there's about 400 grams of flour. Now, anybody who's good at cooking knows that that doesn't make very much. But the biggest thing for me, Jerry, was the fact that I was in my work, and at the end of the day, if you've had a tough day, you like to go home and say, God... I'll have a biscuit when I go home or whatever. It's that sense. And it's that sense of what struck me really about it was not so much the food and the hunger because there was always, you could always fill your belly with rice, but an hour later you were hungry again. So that was, that it was, it was the sense that I had lost the power and the lost the control of having something just to give me a little perk. So I that see what you're thing. saying. It is yeah. uh, what you've done, bringing home today the plight that those millions of people That's find right. themselves 26 in. 26 million people are getting this ration pack from the UN. Once a day? They're, no, they're getting a weekly ration pack okay. and they come back. And I was in the refugee camps in 1994 after the, after the uh, genocide and there were people and they had to queue up, they had bracelets, they had to be they, they scanned they had to, and they got their allocation of rations based on their registration and that's what you live on and if there's a lot of people in refugee camp there are people who are in their third generations of living in refugee camps and it was just for me to understand that because I hadn't understood that fully before It does bring it home it really does and it's a parallel with when we went without for those 24 hours but here's the thing so you get your pack for the week okay right. so you have to portion that out over the seven days you did it for Correct. a full seven days Correct how many meals did you eat a day with that ration pack? Oh, in my case, everybody is different. But in my case, I would have had, I always like a breakfast. So I would have my breakfast. I wouldn't have had anything during the day unless what I used to do was make these flatbreads, a small bit of and I'd have something like that. So that'd be my nibble yes. during the day, uh, midday, and then the evening, I'd have something else again. So I, was, I made things like rice and beans and that. The big thing now, the really interesting thing is I started because of, of things I'd do on a Wednesday and went to a Wednesday, right? So I started lunchtime on Wednesday and went and finished at lunchtime the following Wednesday. But the weekend was really tough. Was it? The, re- the weekend, because I'm involved, like the, the local community church in Maynooth where I live, I'm involved in the Tidy Towns and they invited all the tidy townspeople in for a late breakfast. So I went along, but you couldn't have oh, all the stuff that was Michael. there. And, that was, and, all that. and then the evening had something else. And that evening, I really felt low. You know, it's just, it's the lack of things. But in the pack is also some protein. There's, there was 250 grams of sardines. And that evening, I sat down at the television, I was watching television, and I had my sardines. <laughs> and I sardines felt better for that. You ever ate. <laughs> yes. How did you feel? Were you hungry? I, oh, God, yeah, you are there hungry. But it's, it's particularly when you are... And I was thinking about refugees, because refugees are often in a situation where they don't have a lot to do. Like my day is filled, as your day is filled, planning your programme, doing your programme, following up, etc. But if you have time in your hands, that's tough if you feel hunger. Because mm. the tummy is rumbling and you know it and you're thinking about it. If you're busy, you can move on because you and I probably skip lunch sometimes because you're just busy. So that's a help, not to be busy. But over the weekend, when the structure went out of things, I felt much more. I felt hunger much more. And but the biggest thing I felt was the emotional drain, the fact that I could actually feel myself getting low by the fact that I couldn't sort of think about a treat. And, you and I found it very hard to wonder, how do people live like this all the time? Yes, you mentioned, that's what I'm coming to, three generations in, yeah. in some cases that yeah. people that were in these camps. The other thing about it as well, that is your ration pack that you get for this week. It's the same ration pack it's next week and the week right. after. 
you'd become utterly bored. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It is very, it becomes very boring. Now, you can see, because there's a little recipe book comes with the pack as well, you can see how refugees have been creative around what they do. And indeed, Jerry, you'll actually see sometimes criticism. People will say, I was at a market in, let's say, Turkey, and they saw some of the rations that would be given out. But sometimes refugees will actually sell to buy tomatoes or something like that to keep in the rations, just to vary it. But it is boring. It is absolutely boring. In your time, and you have volunteered abroad, and we talked about this before, you got malaria when you were in Africa. And in a way... What did this do for you? Does it does it leave you able to cope with hunger? Or do you not need as much food? Or what what way has that affected your metabolism? The malaria. Yeah. Well, I, it, it hasn't affected. I don't think it has affected me in any way. I'm totally free of it now. Yes. You'll have a lot of listeners who've had malaria in their time. I just was more susceptible than than but, a lot of people. But, but, but what I'm getting at, did you do fast? Had you to fast at that time when you were on medication subsequently? No, or no, I didn't. But one of the things I did do, Jerry, was one of the things malaria did to me was damage my liver. Okay. And one of the ways I got over that was uh, a very, a very insight or a very kind of uh, wise doctor told me. On a regular basis, fast a bit and rest your liver. And signs on, my liver recovered totally. Okay, so you had a little bit of yeah, that and in you your have life. to ask, Jerry, why is it that almost every religion has fasting built into it? Mm. And it is because the body, it, it is good for the body. Once we don't overdo it, yeah. once you're in everything in moderation, and it is about that. And that's why the ration challenge is good compared to saying to people, because fasting is complex and can yes. do damage. Here's the thing support for organisations like Concern, Troker and the many others who do, right. do wonderful work out there and those packs have to be paid for and they have to be delivered and distributed as well no need to remind you and we talked about this previously you know the, the, the negativity that came around certain charities as well and where people getting a bang for the buck in terms of raising money and contributing where is that today? Okay uh, the first thing is, I am a volunteer board mm. member, and all the board members are volunteers. And when I give money, there's two. The way I look at it personally is, I have been abroad and I've done that, but that's one side of my life. That side of my life is now finished. I'm now at home, and so my contribution can be to be involved. So, if I was involved in, if I was contributing to any organisation, I would want to be involved to see where that money goes. So I follow that money up by being involved. That's the only reason I'm a board member, is to know where that goes. And I take that as a personal responsibility. And the people who have contributed towards my ration challenge, I'm doing, I'm doing that because I want to be sure that their money also goes. There are costs to raise money. And more and more costs because it is a very competitive business. But the money that goes in, about €22 million uh, euros is is raised by Concern, the organisation between Ireland and the UK. But Concern's turnover in the last year has been 156 million. Now that means that for every euro, one of the people who sponsored me or I put in to the Concern money, it's called General Donations, allows Concern to go to other bigger organisations, uh, government organisations, UN, and get funding. So that's why my euro turns into seven euros. But you have to, no more than you running a programme here, you have to have support, you have to have administration, and the charity sector is very highly regulated because of what you mentioned. There have been scandals, and there still are scandals coming out. It has done huge damage to the charity sector because every 
body gets painted with one brush. Isn't that wonderful leverage? Michael Kenny's with me on Late Lunch. He's a great guy and we're going to talk more after this short break. What was that phrase he used there when we were off, Mike? Acting local? Well, no, oh. I would have grown up on a, on a farm and that. So I, I brought this philosophy with me, which is do local, but act global. So wherever I live, I would always be involved locally. Like I have, oh, I lived in Trim for 12 years and I was so happy there. But my big involvement was in things like the local tidy towns. I now am Maynooth and I'm involved in the local, t- because I believe that my community is my responsibility. So I will be involved, the same as you have a big interest in sport. You think of all the people who are out training teams this evening, going to matches next week and all that. They're absolute heroes. They're heroes locally. I have had the privilege of being abroad. I've always had an interest in the developing world and, and the people there. I've had a, And so I can talk out of total understanding because I've been there, I've lived there. The same as you can talk about radio because you're behind the mic all the time. And that. So I can talk. So I believe in doing local because that's what I can do. But I act globally by doing things like this because I'm not the one who's going to be in. Like Turkey has the greatest amount of refugees. Lebanon has a huge amount. Uganda has a huge amount. Uh, Pakistan has a We don't think of those countries, but there are refugees there and there are people working with them. I can't go there, but I can make people aware because I understand some of it and then I can raise some money. The effort in the world is never ending because it's... Now, you have to say, Africa and uh, the situation in the Middle East has been fractious, probably the two of the most fractious areas in the world. And a lot of refugees have fled these uh, problems there. Will we ever see a day in the world that we don't have issues like this to deal with? You know, is there a resolution? Is there? Can you see light? Because you're out, you've been out there working on the front line. You're back here. You're watching, following the news like ourselves. And at times, I have to say, personally, Michael, I despair. That is the core of the question. It's almost a philosophical question, in a sense, mm. when you ask that. And I suppose I do despair at times because I think we have such a wonderful world and yet we are making such a hash of it. And I'm also involved in our own town. We have a Fridays for Future with the children every Friday, which Greta started in Sweden, this notion of making people aware of climate justice and the impacts and all that. So I despair because we've done so much damage, uh, in a sense, around it. But that does not give me an excuse for doing nothing. Personally, I believe that. So even when I don't want to, I will, because I do believe it is my my responsibility. And it is so important to say that support for, I mentioned, you, you're familiar and you've been involved with Concern Yourself, Troker, Save the Children. There are so many of them that are, that are out there doing great work. It is important to keep this to the forefront of our minds to support. And local organisations. Yes. There is no difference between supporting local yes. and su- supporting global. But it is. But I personally believe that rather than giving and then saying it's somebody else's responsibility, like I, my generation, I'm in my early 60s, my generation have got very sceptical of charities and all that. And, and I think that that's a cop-out in some ways because I believe that I give, but I follow it up. I stay involved. I ask the questions. I want to know exactly how this money is being used. I want to find out where there are inefficiencies. I want to question that. Concern is a membership organisation. Anybody can join. And by joining, your people come to the AGMs, they ask the questions and will ask hard questions. And that's what it's about. The same as your local GA club. Mm. Direct provision coming oh, back I, home again. I, really I know one. you have a view on this. 
yeah, I think that the the notion of of people coming into our country and not allowing them the freedom to do things. When people are in, the people who come in are the people who have the initiative. My people were migrants. My parents were migrants. Came from the west. The same as a lot of the people listening to the show who are in South Mead, the Cross Mead, and parts of Kildare, and a small number in Louth as well. We were migrants and we settled. But they are people with initiative and they come into this country and then they're told you have to be here, you can't move here, you can't do this, you can't do that. And they're being told what food they can eat. That is disempowering of people and people are damaged by that. We will be looking back at direct provision in 20 years time, arising from a report that we've written and we'll be saying, how did that ever happen? Who allowed that to happen? Because it's wrong. A scandal, another scandal to be dealt with down the road. Uh, you're involved in so much, as I mentioned there at the start. We might as well finish around that as well. Obviously, having a few fingers in a few pies has always been something you've done all your life. Yeah, well, Jerry, I am a teacher. Yeah. I lecture in Maynooth University. I work with adults. It's, I don't work with the mm. 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And those people have experience. I must have experience if I am to relate to them. If I am to, Because adults are brilliant. They will not put up with any rubbish. They know life. They've they've already graduated through the University of Life. So when they come into university and they're studying, they don't want theory that has no basis in reality. So always start from, so I teach through stories. And the more I'm involved, the more stories I have. You have indeed. Keep telling those stories, Michael Kenny. You're one of life's real gentlemen and a real good guy who's making a difference to people's lives locally nationally and internationally and it's great to meet you again on Late Lunch today. Thanks for coming in to tell us about this uh, uh, ration challenge and if somebody's interested in taking part it'll be coming up again, yes? It will indeed but if anyone wants to find out if they if they just go and put in Ration Challenge UK it'll come up on a Google search and if they put in my name after it my page will come up and there'll be information there as well. Thank you Michael for dropping in to us. A pleasure on Late Lunch today. Pat Coldrick was with us on Late Lunch last week. What a great guy he is. Well, tonight he's at the Royal Meath Bar in Navin from 8 o'clock. There's a complimentary glass of wine and cheese canapes. If you go along to see Pat this evening, he's just a brilliant, brilliant performer and he's back in his home patch after his sellout success concert at the National Concert Hall. That's this evening, 8, the Royal Meath Bar. Would you like to go along? I have a couple of pair of tickets to give away to Pat Coldrick this evening in Navin. You must be able to go if you want them. Call us now, 1850-715-958. Breach Lance at the phone. I guarantee you she will. And just tell her you want to go. First two callers gets the tickets. Away you go there. Now, some of your comments coming to us on late lunch. Uh, I have one question. Why do wealthy countries like Saudi Arabia not take those immigrant immigrants? It's uh, this same culture and mentality and they have loads of money and they shouldn't be taking them. Why are they not asked or demanded for help, says Ella? Thanks indeed. That's a, uh, a valid question as well. We were talking a few moments ago to Michael Kenny. What a great guy he is. Thanks for that. Hi, Jerry. Just listening to the show on the whole Andy McIntyre tea thing. It's come in by WhatsApp. I agree he was out of order in his remarks and it was badly handled. But let the man make an apology and also the county board move on and let the team and management get ready for this massive game next week, says Colin in RD. Jimmy Gagan had the right to ask the question, says another listener, as long as they were asked in the proper way. But Andy McIntyre had no right to come out with that language to any individual. You have to take your beating. You're beating, says Paddy and Navin. Uh, Jim says, if Andy McIntyre is a sore loser, he shouldn't take it out on sports reporters or anyone else. Other managers can be courteous. 
and gracious after heavy defeats. Thanks indeed for that one, Jim. Just like to remind you that Knockbridge School Reunion, their 50th anniversary, is happening this Friday, the 28th of June at 8 o'clock in the List 2 Bar and Restaurant. Tickets are €20. And if you give Anthony Hoy a shout on 087-296-7448, that's Anthony on 087-296-7448, for the Knockbridge School Reunion this Friday. I'm sure there'll be plenty of stories to be told there. Sean O'Mahony's are hosting the Paddy Cheshire Memorial 5K at 7 o'clock this Saturday the 29th and it's preceded by the juvenile-sponsored walk down the Navi Bank at half past four. Registration is happening tomorrow, Thursday, in their club rooms. And if you want to get involved there, get along to the club rooms this Thursday, tomorrow, from 6 to 8pm. It's €15. And just for students, a mention of the Gravity Ball. Yes, it's happening at the Solid Rock Church of God on Friday from 7 to 10. It's only a fiver in. Dress up for the occasion. Let your hair down. There'll be food and dancing and entertainment. And they love to see you at Solid Rock on Ballamakenny Road in Drogheda this Friday to celebrate the end of the exams and into the summer break. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We're back on the hill after the break. Hill of Tara, one of the most visited historical sites in the Royal County and the fairy trees there. I'm sure you've heard of them. If you've been up there, you've seen them. They're part and parcel of what's on site. But... There's trouble at Mill because the fairy trees are in a bit of bother. And to tell me more, I'm joined by John Farley from the Tara Screen Preservation Group. Afternoon, John. How are you doing? How are you doing? I am really good. First of all, will you tell me this? Fairy trees, what are they? Well, traditionally they're white thorn trees that were freestanding. The lone bush of our heritage. So... Because they were on their own and because they appeared, you know, out in the middle of the field, people thought there was something auspicious about them. It's pretty difficult to go on your own, so people pretended or preferred to believe that some spiritual powers were at play there or had met or helped them grow. And so they decided, well, okay, we'll try to access this power to help us. Mm. And is there many of them, John, uh, around the Hill of Tara? How many have you? There were... About between seven to nine. I haven't exactly counted them. Mm. But what I do know is that three of them have died in the last, in the recent past. And there was no need for any of those three trees to die. They were effectively killed. How? Well, I think my problem, yesterday I went down with Carmel Devaney, who's a superb, you know, ecologist and environmentalist. And she runs the Tara Screen Group. And I went down with her yesterday to have a look. Now, unfortunately, she's not available today, but... I went down there yesterday to have a look at them because I have an interest in trees and we were looking, trying to figure out why this one died. It had been used as a rag tree or as a tree to tie whatever and I would leave it to your imagination. Basically it's whatever came to mind, people hung on them. But I also noticed about eight coins battered into them beyond, way in beyond the cambium layer and this was penetrating the tree's defences. That allows in the fungal and bacteriological pathogens that will kill any tree if they can't enter. Mm. But the stuff that's been hung on them is, it has nothing to do with our tradition. And it seems to me that people are doing it either for a lark or a busload of people come and one person decides to tie a rag or to see a piece of cloth and everyone else looks in the handbags and they end up tying anything they can, including their shoes or their underwear. And I just think if we can't value the, the heritage inside the, the perimeter of the tower, we've no, we've no possibility of doing it outside that. So that's basically why we're here trying to make an issue of it trying to stop people or tell people you just can't do what you want with trees. 
because they won't survive. And look, the tradition is, and I know it, that you put a little piece of cloth or something that was biodegradable. People probably didn't know the word at the time, mm-hmm. but if you put something little on it, it, it with time, it, it it rotted away or it disappeared. It went back to nature, and mm-hmm. and the belief was that it took whatever was troubling you or problems with it. Was that the idea? The idea would have been something similar. It was called a probably sympathetic magic. For instance, if you had a sick child, you might have taken a very small amount of hair or a little piece of the bedclothes, and you'd tie it to the fairy tree, and you would hope that when that piece of cloth or whatever disintegrated, the illness or the problem would disintegrate with it. I think that was it. But also, if those people getting married, you would hang something up for yeah. luck. Mm. Or if you were remembering someone maybe who was far away of a nice evening, you would tie something that would probably promote some form of connection. I think it was an innocent and beautiful tradition. And mm. I am not denying the fact that I might believe or not believe. That's up to everyone. But what you tie is important. And that has not got anything to do with tying a, a piece of an umbrella or a boot or a bra. A, 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 a nappy, your knickers, a bra. We, we cleaned the tree two years ago. And it's hard to say this, but there must have been 30 kilos of rubbish on the tree. And 30 kilos in a storm produces a drag it's quite like a sail effect and if that keeps blowing you know something's going to go so a lot of the branches disappear but i think i think it's the coins that's been hammered into the tree that's doing the damage that's killing them but it's all cumulative you know it's an accumulation of everything that's doing it Mm. once you break i I want to say this i know this once you break the bark on a tree or make a severe indent into it the the bark is what takes the food from the roots up to the leaves right, and yeah, the people tree. don't know this people it's, don't it's, understand this and this is a basic if you break the bark in a tree and hammer coins in bit by bit it's the death knell for that tree you see there are little tubes on the inside on the outside the inside ones takes the water up into the leaves mm. the sun then produces sugar out of the elements that are in that water and it brings down them as it's glucose down on the outside little tubes and that's how the tree survives now, if you break into that with a coin and a small amount of fungal disease gets in, it turns everything to jelly. Yeah. And then the tree doesn't have the nutrients traveling anymore. And it's so simple. I mean, it's not right to talk about it, but it's so simple to kill a tree. It's incredible, you know? Yeah, so you say you're around about nine, three gone now, about six left there. I know you've taken little slips and you have saplings and that, which, I'm you trying, know... But, yeah, uh, you're trying, yeah. One of the things, you, I was just saying at the Carmel yesterday, one of the things you realise is how very difficult those trees get to live because it's been assaulted by everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, our rabbits are eating them, hares are eating them, sheep come along and nibble at them, people walk on them. Mm. And... You then realise that if a tree, in past times when people would be watching, if a tree grows out on a very lonely hill, you, they must come to the conclusion that something was aiding it, some powers were aiding it. Mm. I think that's where it comes from, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's... Was, the saplings I've been planting, uh, my God, they're, mm. they're growing so very, very slow, and the grass grows above them very easily, and suddenly they're stumbling and falling. Mm. We have to go down and clear away the grass, and... It takes a long time to get them up and running and get them safe. So what I'm trying to say is we won't be able to replace those trees. Mm. When they're gone, they're gone, as that famous ad says. on Very, very very hard to replace them. We could Mm. probably bring in quite tall specimens, but uh, not quite the same, I think, anyway, you know. Could you you age them? Would you have any idea how long they're there? Well, a hardtown tree is a very difficult thing to age. Mm. Normally, you can age any tree by taking about six foot high and measuring it. And multiplying it, dividing it in by 1.5, they develop outwardly at about 1.5 centimetres per year. 
But with a hawthorn tree, the moorland tree, sometimes four Pacific bowls. Or, yeah. Or, uh, you know, they, they don't just grow in a one. I know. They're there, look, I, I know what you're saying. They're there an awful long time. They're but a here's... stem, yeah. And yeah. so you can't really figure out. I would imagine that they're about 70 years, mm. gauging by that condition. But they can hang on. You know, they're a resilient tree. Yeah. They can hang on up to 700 years, believe it or not. About 300 years would be normal. Mm, that and, uh, you know, they do. You see the most appalling shapes of trees in the West, buffeted by the wind. But they hang on. But these trees have been killed by tourists or by whoever is doing it. Mm. So the message you want to get out today for anybody listening doing it. don't hammer coins into the back. Please no, desist no. from that. Don't hang your clothing and your underclothing or any stuff like that on the tree. Take it with you. That's not what it's about. And obviously, signage. Is the, is the, is the warning signs there to, to tell we people? Tried, Carmel tried to put up signs with her organisation, the Taurus Green, and they were taken down. Now, I didn't, the OPW are the people who are in charge of the hill. And I don't want to complain about them, but they seem oblivious to the death of trees on the hill. You know, the lack of signage, the lack of litter facilities. Mm. The whole thing has just been, it's always been just more or less left to its own devices. And fine, Tara survived for millennia because of that. Yeah. But now, with the storm of people that's visiting there and their activities, it, it desperately needs help. OK, well, we hear what you're saying today and you're making that call to the OPW as well. Thank you for telling the story. Great stuff, great I stuff. I hope they survive. Stuff, thanks for the interest. Okay? Not at all. Always Bye-bye. interested. Thank you indeed. Uh, that's John Farley there from the Tar Screen Preservation Group. Don't do it. Don't hammer the coins in and respect the trees. And let's get the signs up. Come on. It's a simple thing. At least if the signs are there, people have no excuses. Happy birthday to Estelle Garvey from the Cairns in Drogheda. That comes in from Tom and your neighbours who value your wisdom so much. Isn't that lovely to be told that on your 90th birthday? Happy birthday, Estelle. What a great milestone that is. And we'll play out today with this one for you. I'm sure at 90, the Beatles were all the go in your day. And it's Mr George Harrison. Got my mind set on you and many people have, Estelle, on you this very day. Happy birthday again. See you tomorrow for another late lunch.
planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.